Hello, welcome to the ALS Association Research Podcast. I'm your host, Tony Heil, a Communication Director with the ALS Association, and with me today is Dr. Jill Yersak, who is a Manager of Research Communications at the ALS Association. Uh, this is part three of our research podcast series. You can look online to find our other ones about what is ALS and what is ALS research generally. And as we progress in this podcast series, we're going to be asking more specific questions about a wide range of topics. And and this one is going to be very important for understanding a whole host of other research things and news throughout the year and throughout the years as we work to end ALS. Our topic today is biomarkers. And before I started here, I would have just kind of guessed what that was. And actually, for most people here, they would have no idea what it was until they started coming to the ALS Association because... This is a field of science that is growing in ALS, and it's very, very important uh, to the success of our ALS research programs to find a cure and end ALS for good. Uh, If you're listening, you can find information about the ALS Association and about uh, different news and how you can get involved, donate, volunteer, all at www.alsa.org, and you can look up the ALS Association on all sorts of social media, especially Facebook and Twitter, at ALS Association. So, Dr. Yersak, or Jill. Jill, please. Jill is fine. Uh, Thank you for once again joining us for this series. Thank you for having me. So, as I said, we had two other research topics before, and now we're going to be talking about biomarkers. And what are biomarkers, and why is this an important topic to be discussing today in 2017? Right, so... When you think about biomarkers, I think the best way to go about it is to think about tracking something in your body. So essentially, it's anything measurable that changes in quantity or appears or disappears over time with a change in someone's body state. So it could be a chemical change that you can track in your blood, in your urine, or your cerebral spinal fluid, and that's the fluid that surrounds your brain and spinal cord, Mm -hmm. Uh, a structural change in your brain, a chemical change in your brain, things like that. So... When you, when you think tracking, I could even give you an example in nature. So think of like when you see leaves changing right. from in the summer to the fall to winter. So it's green to all the pretty colors to to winter when they get brown, they fall off. So that's kind of like a, a chemical change or change you can see over time in the trees. So think about that when you think about a biomarker, something you can observe over time and track over time. That's involved with your biology. What's involved in your biology in your body, exactly. And so... They're so important right now because I think in the last five years or so, they became even more of a forefront of ALS research because we don't have a treatment, a really great effective treatment other than Rylazol right now. And there's a huge movement to try to figure out better treatments, obviously, for ALS to make it more chronic disease and maybe hopefully even someday a cure. Right. And so clinical trials right now could be more efficient if we had biomarkers because we could see if a drug is hitting its target and if it's working, mm-hmm. or it's, you know, right now, another really great um, thing biomarkers could do is improve diagnosis. Right now, diagnosis takes about a year on average, and that is too long. Oh, it's very, because yeah. <clears throat> we, we know people, uh, for anyone that's listening, Dr. Yers, Jill and I have done ALS advocacy before in yes. Washington, D.C. It's coming up so again important. this please May. Go. Yes. yes, please go and get involved. Um, as anyone who's been following the news knows, it's important to be an advocate for all a whole host of issues. Um, but join uh, Jill and I this May in uh, Washington, D.C. And we're talking about it. We're talking about the pipeline. We're talking about these biomarkers. 
And we know people that have passed away after meeting them one time because the disease progresses so quickly, unfortunately. Right. So the year, you know, we can do so much better. Right. I think we can improve that diagnosis time, get people um, drugs or even palliative care quicker to improve their just their everyday life. So and, it's so such a big thing. And, and uh, this isn't something we necessarily discussed before, but in addition to figuring out a cure later, I, I imagine that with, with proper biomarkers, as you said, we'd be able to give them more correct and better and faster palliative care. You know, talking to caregivers about this is what to expect now or this is right. the kind of care to provide and not mess up. Right, you can start the process earlier. Right. Get it to know what's happening to you earlier and maybe, um, not, I wouldn't say stop progression, but maybe help at least feel better over time and to get that something to them sooner. I think it would be a big help because I've heard horror stories about yeah. diagnosis times. We talk about how the ALS Association is a leader for care and cure together. Yes. Biomarkers evidently can be effective for both of those things at the same time because I know at the chapter level, someone comes in, they talk to a social worker or a nurse, and they find out that they should start getting a wheelchair, for example, uh, in, t in time. But with biomarkers, you may know more about when you should start asking for certain services and, and when you should start preparing the paperwork for things so or who you should start talking to, whether it's a speech pathologist or um, a nutritionist. So... Get that care quicker and get more get organized faster yeah. and really get what you need. Yeah, after earlier. after hearing from you before we started this podcast, I'm realizing how exciting the biomarker technology um, advancements can be. Yeah, it's huge. And the other really big thing is that with clinical trials, right now there are a lot of eligibility requirements, but I think there's going to be a movement towards stratifying patients or people living with ALS into clinical trials based on biomarkers based on their disease progression. So we'll know with biomarkers if you're a more of a slower or faster progressor or um, if you have a certain, what's actually starting to happen already with genetic signatures. You know, if you have an SOD1 mutation or a C9 or 72 mutation, which are the two most common genetic mutations in ALS, you would str stratify those people into those clinical trials specifically focused on um, disease pathways that are involved in those gene mutations. So we know that those are the kind of people to get into a clinical trial based on their genetics possibly. Mm -hmm. And we, we know that in terms of how they're looking at um, setting up trials and, and research now. But you mentioned kind of what a biomarker could be and you used a really good example of leaves changing. That's something that anyone can understand. Yeah, it's something you just picture in your head. So biomarkers happen in nature all the time. It's just a matter of understanding them. How do we figure out what would be a biomarker for ALS? Like, do you just kind of say, I bet this would happen? You mentioned about the nucleus and, yes. and other things. So how, what what kind of leads a researcher, um, often funded by the ALS Association, to figure out what kind of biomarkers to look for or use? So you can track things. Again, you think about tracking, tracking things over time. And you think about biology and you get onto, into a deeper level, you can think of tracking um proteins in a cell, right? So, for example, TDP43 TDP, TDP is a protein that's um, mutated in ALS, but um, it's universally it's uh, present in uh, people um, with other neurodegenerative diseases. And what happens is that this TDP43 protein moves from the nucleus, and that's part of your cell with the DNA, out into the cytoplasm, which is, surrounds it. And it's not supposed to be there. Right, and so we um, scientists are 
putting tra like a tracer, some sort of fluorescent tag or something they can use to track that movement from where it's supposed to be in the nucleus to where it's not supposed to be in the cytoplasm. And that, that TDP43 universally um, builds up in that cytoplasm, right? In the cytoplasm of your cell where it's not supposed to be and it, it causes problems in your cells. And so that's something you can track over time, that, that accumulation of that bad protein in your cell. So that's just, that's just one example of like the biology of things could happen. Um, when I think, so that's on one level, like a cellular level, you could look um, at proteins in your cerebral spinal fluid in your blood. Mm -hmm. um, there's a great example that um, we, we funded called um, Iron Horse Diagnostics. They're um, a company led by Dr. Robert Bowser and Andreas Jeroman. They're based out of um, Scottsdale, Arizona. And they have this great company who've really developed a combination uh, lab test that measures key proteins in both the blood and the cerebral sp spinal fluid. And they found that these levels of these specific proteins are higher in people with ALS versus other um, people or other neurologic diseases. So it's specific to ALS, which is very exciting. And then what they can do is test your blood or cerebral spinal fluid, and within it's 93% accurate, which is very high accuracy yeah. rate, um, which is in line with other diagnostic tests and other diseases. And it's super fast. You can get these results within a week. So they're right now in process of validating these biomarkers um, with some um, a cohort, cohort of people in the United States, um, and they're working with the FDA to get approved here in the United States. And meanwhile, their work, they partnered with a company called, uh, I think it's called Euroimmune um, in Europe to, um, to start commercializing. Oh, they have a non-exclusive license agreement with, with this company in Germany to launch uh, this di diagnose, di diagnostic test there. So that's another example of like a way you can think about biomarkers, either blood or cerebral spinal fluid, or even on that cellular level. Right. Um, and we also, I think... What you can think about biomarkers, you can also think, you know, with all this new, we talked about this before, all this new technology in the, um, with MRIs right. and PET scans, you can track um, changes in your brain so much more easily now with this tech technology. And so we have a, we fund a really cool study out of uh, Mass General Hospital. Mm -hmm. His name is Dr. Nazem Atassi. And he um, developed... That's easier to say on a podcast than spell, right? Right. What's that? Yeah, it's kind of... It's, a, it's not an easy name. My last name is Yersak, so I can't even talk. <laughs> People mess that up all the time. Right. <laughs> um, but, so the, he has a really cool um, biomarker that he's using, and it's, it's called a track ALS study. And when you... People with um, certain people with ALS have a neuroinflammation reaction in your brain, which is really an immune response in your brain. And when that happens, um, proteins in your brain are upregulated or increased. And they can he actually tags them. These specific proteins are upregulated with these fluorescent tags. So you can see this neuroinflammation in a person with ALS versus someone who doesn't. And so you can see that. Um, right live and over time happening. So he, what he's doing is looking at people in different stages of their disease to see that tracking that neuroinflammation. And so I'm a very visual person. And it's hard with a podcast, but it, as you can imagine, those neuroinflammation marker biomarkers are red, and you can see that like a someone 
in the beginning of the study have like a small red spot in the brain versus someone who does not have mm-hmm. ALS. It's just green, right? Right. It's, it's clear, meaning green. Um, and as you can see, if you can imagine that red spot, as your disease progresses over time, that red spot gets bigger. And now imagine that you have a drug that targets neuroinflammation in the brain, and which is the goal for that drug is to reduce that neuroinflammation or that red spot. So you could use this this biomarker and this this method, MRI PET scan method, to then see over time. I gave this person a drug. Is that red spot in the brain being decreased or not? Right. So it's kind of a cool. It's a really cool way to use biomarkers. Kind of, um, I was going to say live in your brain, and he's actually been collaborating with. Certain, Couple of clinical trials are now going to look at the to um, use this biomarker in those trials that target neuroinflammation. And we discussed this before too yeah. uh, that part of what research with biomarkers can do is it provides more avenues for research. And, and listening to you talk about just this one study from Mass General is in addition to being able to see how that neuroinflammation is happening, you can also tell if a treatment is working at one stage or another, totally just stopping the progression or decreasing the progression of the neuroinflammation. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you can see now if someone who has that, if they're having other symptoms, so at this point in the neuroinflammation process, and, and forgive my ignorance, but yeah. this, this is happening to the rest of the body or this is what's happening to their life in general. Yeah, and they can, they'll be able, I'm sure during this, these trials, they're not just tracking their own information in your brain, but they also are collecting information from each person or each participant, how, you know, all the different other tests that people are doing now, the functional rating scales and right. the ALS functional rating scale revised to be technically correct. You know, how you're breathing, how you're walking, or how you're moving. All those tests that people are normally doing, that's in addition to these biomarker studies. So you kind of can pick, can compare how you're doing physically with how it looks in your brain. It's really, really cool step forward. And science is often about making comparisons and links. So the more things you have to link together. So if you can link, for example, neuroinflammation with your breathing ability, and that's something you can find an easy one-to-one link. And I'm not saying that's true, so don't... Well, no, (laughs) yeah. But if you could link that, then suddenly you can figure out a whole host of other things about how this kind of marker can be used to figure out if a drug is working. Because it's often hard to tell if a drug is working. Right. It's, you know, right now we don't have any great biomarkers. There's a ton in development that we are funding. But right now there isn't really a, a good biomarker to use. So there's a huge push in the field to really, you know, understand if these clinical trials are working on a whole different level. And you had mentioned about the technology and what they're able to do with MRIs and I imagine other things too. So that's something where I was saying, shouldn't biomarkers have always been what we use, but you needed to understand what ALS does to a body on the outside to know why we should even care. You mm-hmm. know, so that's a hundred years ago and 50 years ago, figuring out like, Oh, what's happening here generally. And then you figure out genetics and what's happening on the body. And then you can kind of figure out these kind of biomarkers because you, you don't look for the biomarkers until you know that there's, other components. So right. So what happens when you have you know when a researcher is looking at ALS, they have a gene mutation and they they figure, then they want to say, all right, well if you have this gene mutation, what happens to your cell? What's wrong? What's the disease pathway? Right. And once they can identify that disease pathway being like that transport again from like this nucleus to the cytoplasm, like I mentioned before, something else, then they can use that information and say, okay, now 
I know it's wrong, and let's try to figure out a way to track it with biomarkers and how it goes wrong. Right. So it's it's like a it's a thing that you pair during the process, drug development process, or preclinical studies to figure that out. And then once you have your biomarkers, it's much more easier, and companies are much more likely to support you and give you money to develop these drugs if you have a biomarker to, to guarantee or to at least understand better if it's working or not. Mm-hmm. It's a better investment for a company. So that's why a lot of companies right now, a lot of academic labs are partnering together even more than ever now because they have these biomarkers in, in, in pairing up with the disease pathway and those disease targets. It's really cool. Now people come to an ALS Association certified treatment center often every three months. Yes. And they have people, I, I know people with ALS who, um, neurologists will say, well, based on what we know, we don't see much of a progression or progressing at this. But now they can be able to figure out how they're progressing on a more rapid basis, if they are, um, if they actually um, are progressing at all, even if outward signs say otherwise. And so this kind of information can be very useful um, oh, to everyone at the clinic. Level. Oh, the doctors especially. Just imagine this this blood cerebral spinal fluid test. You could get these tests periodically as you go to clinic or however they, your physician wants to do it. And you could see on a, a different level the progression versus just you sitting there and doing the normal evaluate, evaluations that doctors normally do all your the whole multidisciplinary team does. So it's a different level to see progression and see if it matches. Right. So it's, it's a great, it'll be a great tool, not, not just for researchers, but also clinicians. It's a really great point, Tony. And the technology is improving to the point where we couldn't do a lot of these things before, but now we have different ways of looking. Um, it's, you, so you mentioned a lot of things. Are, are there any things that are becoming like more affordable that more researchers can use? Because there's one group mm-hmm. in Arizona you mentioned, and then at Mass General. Yeah, so so is this going to become more prevalent? Yeah, once they get validated and approved by the FDA, um, I can't comment right now on pricing, but I'm well, sure. Well, yeah, that's going to be fun. Obviously. <laughs> but, um, you know, Three easy payments yeah, before doing that. Wouldn't that be nice? Um, but I'm sure um, once they do get validated and approved by FDA, eventually that we will have, and you yourself will be advocating for um, pricing that is affordable for everyone and available to every patient. Because there's going to be a lot of competition for this, being able to do this kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. And you want to, we want to make sure that everyone's working together to get those drugs. And not only the drugs, but the biomarkers um, tests, avail- those, those tests available to pay people with ALS as quickly and as affordably as possible. The biggest frustration that people have with ALS, the, the families that want to see a cure, is how quickly things take to get information to for... Um, understanding the disease and for, to get a cure and approval. So I have two things I want to bring up. First, you mean how slow it is. <laughs> what? You said how quickly you meant how slow. Well, yeah, same thing. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> and um, so because it t- it's how slow it is to diagnose and also to get a treatment, this could speed up that process oh, yeah. dramatically. Huge. And I think it would have a big impact on speeding up diagnosis, figuring out treatments. Thing- there's... It's going to be a game changer once we have really good biomarkers to pair with those um, new, new drugs that are coming out. And the biomarkers all, won't all be the same because people have different forms of ALS. Right. So there's bio, there'll be biomarkers for different drugs, different um, populations of people living with the disease. So there there's biomarkers being developed, and it's really a global effort to, to look at all different avenues. There's so many. What makes ALS so difficult to, to treat is that it's such a big multifactorial disease that 
it involves probably involves many different pathways, not just one. So, you know, I know researchers are looking and uh, clinicians are looking at different all those different avenues, and and we're hoping to have biomarkers feature those avenues eventually. And it's down the, farther down the road, because ALS is so complicated and so diverse in terms yeah. of how the disease progresses, biomarkers may be able to create some more standards, right? Like we may be able to um, make it easier to understand, possibly. I mean, I don't possibly, know. yes. So instead of saying that it's 500 different ways of happening to people, like, well, outwardly, but inwardly, these biomarkers were able to see some very clear similarities between people. Yeah, and the impact of different disease pathways on um, the disease versus others. And so that should allow more people at the trials. Right. Um, and so the possibilities here are, are really are endless. Like, I can't see an end to these questions and answers. That we There's nothing really negative I can think about with biomarkers. I think biomarkers are a big, big thing that are are really going to are, are really exciting avenue of research that people are very very dedicated to understanding, um, and just to benefit in so all these different areas. I think um, we're really looking forward to see how a lot of these study pro studies progress in the near future. Not only progress but complete because yeah. I can imagine this will allow studies to complete more quickly and because we're going to create more standards and some more validated data. It might be easier to get things approved at a level at yes. some point, too. So it would be nice, you know, if you have a clinical trial going and you have this drug and you have the biomarker and, you know, you know, when you have preclinical studies of drugs, you look in animals first and then you move over to, to humans. And, and so drugs sometimes change. You know, we're not the same as mice or um, primates. Right, there's... Obviously. So it may work differently than a, in an animal versus us. So a biomarker, you know, would be able to can start a clinical trial and earlier than later say, you know what, it's not hitting its target like it did in animals. Let's, let's um, backtrack a little bit and try to fix this. So it, it actually say, it'll save companies and researchers money on things that are, de are just destined not to work and then they can start over and figure out a better way to do it. You know, that's a point that I... Really wish I brought up 15 minutes ago. Yeah, I, I forgot about that. I think it's a good is point. That you are, all of these studies start with an animal, a mouse model, which is obviously the most famous, but there's other kinds of oh, animals. I used to work with worms, you know? Right. <laughs> um, obviously, the, the biomarkers are going to be a lot different. Right. But if we see that, oh, it's doing this thing internally in a monkey or, or a mouse, and it's not doing that with a person... Suddenly, we could stop people doing an ineffective and potentially harmful treatment. Oh well, yeah, or just just it just wastes people's time, and they could then people can get into a different trial right. or do something different. They give researchers time to like backtrack and figure out how can we do this better and improve the, their drug or um, treatment somehow. So. It's always frustrating when the trial fails, but as we've discussed many times before, there's no failure in science because every failure leads to more. Knowledge. More knowledge. But it'd be nice to fail more quickly. Yes, exactly. I love that. Fail so, more quickly. So if you fail more quickly, you have more time to succeed. Yes. And biomarkers are going to give more avenues for success. Yes. Uh, is there, so we've talked about how it's going to affect clinical trials, how it's going to help drugs hit their target uh, because they'll be able to see these biomarkers and where it's successful in ways that we can't outwardly. Mm -hmm. Don't judge a book by its cover. There's a lot of words in there that we can suddenly figure out. Um, and we know that everyone's going to be using them. Um, is there anything else that we need to learn that we can tell people that why this is the future of, of research? I think we've really covered all the bases. And I think, you know, as an association, um, we're really pushing hard on the biomarker track. Right. Um, you know, I can tell you that I just gave you just two quick examples of um, studies we funded 
are currently funding in biomarkers. But we've also funded huge consortiums called, for example, the CREATE Consortium that is focused specifically on biomarkers for ALS. Um, and we are funding projects under that large umbrella. And they have a biorepository, or a, which is a fancy uh, way of saying a storage place <laughs> right. for samples, and to standardize those samples. So when you give, like a person gives uh, blood or cerebral spinal fluid, um, you, it, there's a place to store that safely and to standardize how things are taken from people and, and um, organized. And so it's in all the policies and procedures to, to make whatever you need to do or use those uh, samples are, are universal across um, different studies. So people will be de-identified de with a, um, it's called a GUID or a Global Unique Identifier. And so people can use, these biorepositories could um, use, use this GUID to really have people participate in a trial, but then, you know, you wouldn't have the same person participate in the same trial. So it's not to, for, to right. avoid that duplication. I didn't say that very well, but you get the I point. I understand. So you're yeah. so using it's really the same information it. place by place. So you're standardizing the information because yeah. of the work that the ILS Association is doing with CREATE. Yeah, and other biorepositories. And, 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 and really to make that those um, samples available, not just to CREATE, um, but to people outside, ILS researchers all over the globe, to really be able to find a way to, to get those samples from um, these biorepositories and use them and make them available to everybody. There's never been a better time to think outside the box because there's so many ways to find an avenue, a, a pipeline for a cure. Right, right. And the ILS Association is, you know, this biomarker track is, is, was extremely important to us. And we've, you know, Lucy's worked very hard to um, fund studies and to do um, not just small studies, um, clinical trials, um, also these big consortiums. And we also did that a TDP forty three challenge program to actually you know I talked about the TDP forty three protein and how you can track that over time. We have a challenge program that we're actually going to announce a winner for, for to um, in the next couple months. That the whole goal was to figure out a way to track that TDP forty three protein in your cell. So we're we're doing we're funding ALS research in so many different avenues not just one way to really make a difference and impact in the biomarker research. So it's an exciting time, and we're really hopeful and looking forward to seeing um, how all these studies progress and hoping to have a really great biomarker in the next few years. Well, not I just think. one, but many. Hopefully many. You know, I'm a very optimistic person, and I hate I can't give you a timeline, but I'm hoping very soon. <laughs> but there's more reason for optimism now than ever before. Exactly. And uh, so I appreciate it. Learn more about these biomarkers and how the ALS Association is advancing ALS research at www.alsaid.org, where you can also learn about... Backslash research. Backslash research. But it's easy to find the research. Yeah, true. So alsaid.org slash research, uh, where you can learn from, doc uh, from Dr. Jill Yersek and from many scientists from not just around the country, but around the world. And you can also follow at ALS Association on Twitter and Facebook. And look for your local chapter where you can be talking to experts nearby who can explain to you the best in ALS patient care and how we're moving forward to help end ALS. Thanks, Jill, for participating. Thank you. It's always fun. Thanks, Tony. We have some more uh, discussions come up on our podcast in the next few weeks and months. And we thank you all for participating with your donations and volunteer time and advocacy all year round to defeat ALS.